6640. Your future lies in 6640. 66 books by 40 authors, and yet we now discover it's an integrated message system from outside our time domain. Welcome to 6640, the ministry outreach of Koinonia House and Koinonia Institute. Today's Bible teacher is Chuck Missler, connecting the Bible to your life and the world around you. In today's study, Chuck continues his teaching on the book of Hebrews with a session entitled Luke chapter 21. Matthew, in the Matthew account, we are continuing after all those things, some other things are going to happen, okay? And because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold, and he that shall endure to the end, the same shall be saved. For this gospel of the kingdom, the gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations, and then shall the end come. And then he gets to verse 15, which is the pivotal verse in this whole discourse. Jesus speaking, he says, When ye therefore shall see the abomination of desolation, spoken of by Daniel the prophet, stand in the holy place, whoso readeth, let him understand, and then he goes on. How many read that with me just now? I did a dirty trick on you. Because you read it, whoso readeth, let him understand. You now have an obligation to understand this thing. And we're not going to explain it all tonight. You're going to take on the commitment to study this and understand what lies behind this. The abomination of desolation. We'll talk more about that in a minute. Spoken of by Daniel the prophet. Who wrote the book of Daniel? How do we know? Jesus told you. Now it happens to be the best documented book of the Old Testament, but set that aside. You don't have to worry about who wrote Daniel. Jesus told you and that he was a prophet. And this abomination of desolation is something that's going to stand in the Holy of Holies. And we'll get to that later. Okay? Now, spoken by Daniel the prophet. Okay. And by the way, Jesus is pointing them to the book of Daniel to unravel. If you understand the book of Daniel, especially chapter 9, everything else in the Bible will fall into place for you. If you're confused about Daniel 9, everything else will be a muddle. Okay. A little background. Let's talk about the abomination of desolation. Going back before Christ, to about two centuries, Antiochus IV son of Antiochus the Great. Antiochus III was considered the great by historians, but we're more interested in Antiochus IV. He became successor of his brother, Seleucus IV, who had been murdered by his minister. And uh, he was a despot. He's very eccentric and very unreliable, cruel, and tyrannical. A bad dude, okay? He called himself Antiochus Epiphanes, which is an abbreviation of the Greek of Theos Epiphanes, which means a designation he gave himself. He's the God who appears and reveals himself. He calls himself a God. Pretty arrogant kind of guy. We call him what? Politicians today, I guess, don't we? Okay. <laughs> that was just a silly crack. Antiochus undertook the total eradication of the Jewish religion. Bear in mind, he's a, he's a Greek king. Um... After Alexander dies, it broke up, and anyway, he's part of the Seleucid Empire. But anyway, um, and he made being Jewish punishable by death. He wanted to establish Greek religion, Greek polytheism in its, in its place. The observance of Jewish laws, especially those relating to the Sabbath or circumcision, 
were punishable by death. Can you imagine parents whose children have been circumcised? The evidence would cause them to be killed. All Jewish practices were set aside, and they sent troops throughout the towns and villages to make sure that the, they weren't obeying the Jewish practice, and they were there to enforce the pagan deities. This did not go over well, obviously. The representatives are crowned everywhere to, to enforce all this. And once a month they would search, and, and, and if they found a copy of the Torah, they would, uh, the person would be condemned to death. Okay, in Jerusalem, the 15th of Kislev, December 168 B.C., he broke the promises that he had made previously. A pagan altar was built on the great altar in the temple. The temple was stripped of all its treasuries. He pillaged the entire city of Jerusalem, took 10,000 captives, compelled them to forsake the worship. He forbid circumcision and so forth. And uh, this is all in Josephus if you want to get into the background. And this was on his birthday. Uh, he brought a sacrifice. He, he uh, brought a swine to be sacrificed on the Jewish altar. Now, if you understand how the Jews feel about pork, and you understand how they feel about their golden altar, bad news. And they did this in all the villages in the in part of the country. And the big, the big move, dumb move, they erected an idol to Zeus in the Holy of Holies of the temple. And that did it. That was called a desolating sacrifice. That's where we get the name, Abomination of Desolation. And I won't go into all of this right now. But anyway, this started a, the, the Maccabean, a full-fledged full war. A group of officers uh, arrived in a uh, village of Modane. There was a priest there by the name of Mattathias, lived with his five sons. Mattathias killed the first Jew that approached the pagan altar. And he also killed the royal official. And he and his sons then were fugitives, so they ran for the hills. And that would have been the end of it, except one of those five sons was a pretty sharp leader. And uh, uh, his sons were John, Simon, Judas, Eliezer, and Jonathan. But Judas had a nickname called the Hammer, <laughs> Maccabeus. And that gives the whole movement its name, was the nickname of one of the sons. You may get confused because when they finally win, they call that the Hasmoneans. Well, that was the family name. It's called in the history books the Maccabean Revolt. That's because of Judas. He ends up emerging as the real leader here, and it just caught fire. And they actually threw off the the uh, yoke of the Greek Empire, and uh, as a result of this revolt, and uh, Mathesius himself died soon after, and Judas uh, became a very popular leader and so forth, and um, he turned into a full-scale military engagement, which they actually uh, defeated the much more powerful Syrian armies. And so he uh, recaptured Jerusalem, he rededicated the temple. On the rededication of the temple, on the, 20, on the anniversary, the third anniversary, uh, is, is today, celebrated to this day. It's called Hanukkah. And it's mentioned in the New Testament. In John 10, verse 22, Hanukkah is endorsed as a as a, you won't understand what Jesus is talking about unless you understand why it is they celebrate Hanukkah. Now, his, Antiochus' death also took place, and uh, Judas uh, continued to successfully oppress now what was a really a war for independence. Now, Jesus is telling them, his disciples and, his fo and their followers, 
when you see the abomination of desolation, well, wait a minute, that, when he said that, that had happened 160 some odd years before. But you're going to see it again, is his point. See, that we know so much about it because it happened once before. That's what happened, that's what the, the, uh, happened when uh, the uh, Antiochus IV uh, desecrated the temple. That's how we know it's going to happen again. And what Jesus is saying is when you see the abomination the next time, then let them which be in Judea flee into the mountains. You got a problem right here, by the way. How, they, how are you going to? What's the, the abomination of desolation is being put up in the Holy of Holies? Normally, the Holy of Holies is something only the high priest can go in only once a year. How, if you're in Judea, how are you going to see what's going on? CNN, exactly right. It's going to be. This is an, implicitly here is a, a global television. Let him which is on the housetop not come down and take anything out of his house, neither let him which is in the field return back to take his clothes. And woe to them that are with child, and to them that give suck in those days. But pray ye that your flight be not in winter, neither on the Sabbath day. He's talking Jewish and stuff here, right? He's saying when you see that happen, you split and you split now. Don't even grab your coat. Get out right now. And neither on the Sabbath day. Okay. For then shall be what? Great tribulation. This is the, there's a three and a half year period that Jesus himself labels the great tribulation. And this is a time of trouble such as not ever, was not since the beginning of the world of this time, nor ever shall be. This is going to make the Nazi Holocaust look like a kindergarten. The Nazis took out one Jew and three on the planet earth. This one's going to take two out of three. According to Zechariah 13 verse 8 and 9. Except those days should be shortened, there should no, no flesh be saved. But for the elect's sake, those days shall be shortened. Great tribulation. He's quoting, Jesus is quoting Matthew tw uh, uh, Daniel 12. At that time shall Michael stand up, the great prince which standeth for the children of thy people, and there shall be a time of trouble such was never since there was a nation even at that same time. And at that time thy people shall be delivered, every one that shall be found written in the book. A time of trouble such as never since been. Now Jeremiah uses for this thing, he calls it by a different name. He calls it the time of Jacob's trouble. Alas, for that day is great, so that none is like it. It is even the time of Jacob's trouble, but he shall be saved out of it. Okay. Well, getting back to Matthew 24, Then if any man shall say unto you, Lo, here is Christ, or there, believe it not. For there shall arise false Christs and false prophets, and shall great signs and wonders, insomuch that if it were possible... They shall deceive the very elect. Behold, I have told you before. Wherefore, if they say unto you, Behold, he's in the desert, go not forth. Behold, he's in the secret chambers. Believe it not. For as the lightning cometh out of the east, and shineth even to the west, so shall the coming of the Son of Man be. For wheresoever the carcass is, there will the eagles be gathered together. And immediately after the tribulation of those days, shall the sun be darkened, the moon shall not give her light, the stars shall fall from heaven, the powers of the heaven shall be shaken, Wow. Has that happened yet? There are some Bible teachers on the radio would tell you that's already happened back in 70 AD. Not so. And then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven, and then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn, and they shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. That's after the tribulation. Has that happened yet? No. Therein lies the problem. Many people try to make this fit what happened in the past. It doesn't. This all is an amplification of Daniel 70 this week. If you get into Daniel 9, you'll, uh, and I encourage you to do so if you haven't, 
There's a seven-year period that's defined by a covenant being enforced. And the middle of that covenant is violated and the leader puts himself up to be worshipped in the Holy of Holies. From that point to the end, Jesus labels the Great Tribulation. And that's when he, he interrupts that, returns to the earth, sets up his kingdom. Now there's different views about the Tribulation. There are those that believe the church goes through that Tribulation along with Israel. And they're taken out just before he returns. That leads to all kinds of confusion, by the way. There are some, that's our view, that, ha that, the, that the church is removed prior to this whole package. And there's lots of reasons we support that perspective. There are some that believe, well, uh, maybe he picks us up in the middle of that week. That's why I call it the mid-trib. Kind of many people call that whole seven-year period a tribulation. That's unfortunate because it's confusing. The Great Tribulation is three and a half years. But anyway, they call these people that would be uh, caught up to heaven in the middle of that week, they call it mid-trip. The problem with the mid-trip and post-trip positions is it denies eminence. The Bible clearly tells us to expect the uh, gathering of the church at any moment. It could happen this evening, next tomorrow, next week. And uh, to, to, to maintain that doctrine, you can't hold a mid- or post-tribulational view because there, that would require events before it occurs. If, in other words, if, if, um, if the post-tribulational view is correct, we know it can't happen for seven years because the leader has to rise to power, he's got to enforce a covenant and violate that covenant, etc., etc. Uh, Donald Gray Barnhouse used to needle his students. He'd say, uh, sad day, sad day, Jesus can't come back today because if you're post-trib in your perspective... You've got seven years of history in the way. There are two different comings is the real point of all that. And it's not necessarily at the beginning of the seventh week. It's some period of time before. We don't know when. The, the, the pre-tribulational rapture of the church is something that could occur at any time. Okay. He shall sell the angels with the sound of the trumpet, and they shall gather his elect from the four winds, from the end, one end of heaven to the other. Now parable, learn the parable of the fig tree when his... When his branch is yet tender, put forth leaves, you know that summer is nigh, and so likewise ye, when ye shall see all these things, know that it is near, even at the doors. Verily I say unto you, this generation shall not pass till all these things be fulfilled. In other words, everything that he has described there, the tribulation and all the all this stuff, will happen within one, one, one generation. Okay. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my word shall not pass away. But of that day and hour knoweth no man, know not the angels of heaven, my Father only. Now this is, another, this is one of the places where the Mark account has been identical to it up till now. But Mark says something stranger, a little bit. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my word shall not pass away. But of that day and hour knoweth no man, know not the angels of heaven, neither the Son, but the Father only. Very provocative verse, because apparently... There's something the Father knows the Son doesn't, at least at that time. So I'll leave you to reflect on that. But as the days of Noah were, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. For as the days that were before the flood, they were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered into the ark. And knew not until the flood came and took them all away. So shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. Then shall two, then shall two be in the field, one shall be taken, the other left. Two women shall be grinding at the mill, one will be taken, the other left. And watch therefore, for ye know not what hour your Lord doth come. 
But know this, that if the good men of the house had known in what watch the thief would come, he would have watched and would not have suffered his house to be broken up. Now, who is the good man here? Huh? Satan? Absolutely. You're absolutely right. But most people miss that because the word good man is misleading. That's a term for the master of the house. Who is the God of this world? Satan. It's confusing because we impute to good man that he must be a good guy. No, that's just a term for the, the owner of the house, if you will. And the house that is being attacked here is Satan's. And I believe the reason the rapture is elusive in trying to identify when it occurs, the whole point is to catch Satan by surprise. That leads into a whole other discussion. The word in the Greek really means the head of the house, the master of the house. Good man is an English translation that's misleading here. Therefore be ye also ready, for in such an hour as ye think not the Son of Man cometh. Who then is a faithful and wise servant, whom his Lord hath made a ruler over his household, to give them meat in due season? Blessed is that servant, whom his Lord, when he cometh, shall find so doing. Verily I say unto you, that he shall make him ruler over all his goods. But if that evil servant shall say in his heart, The Lord delayeth his coming, and shall begin to smite his fellow servants, and to eat and to drink with the drunken, the Lord of that servant shall come in a day when he looketh not for him and in an hour that he is not aware of, and shall cut him asunder and point him his portion with the hypocrites, and there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Okay, that was Matthew. We could spend many, many, we could do a whole study of, there's a lot in there that we just, we're just skimming through. I want to take a look at Luke 21, and I want to focus on the distinctives. I'm going to suggest, tell you right up front, that Luke 21 is not the Olivet Discourse, and that comes as a surprise to many diligent students of the Scripture. Let's just take a look at it. Picking up about verse 5, Luke 21. As some spake of the temple, how it was adorned with goodly stones and gifts, he said, As for these things which ye behold, the days will come in the which there shall not be left one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. Same opening. See, the same situation. And they asked him, saying, Master, but when shall these things be? And what sign will there be when these things shall come to pass? And he said, Take heed that ye not be deceived. There he is again. For many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and the time draweth near. Go ye not, therefore, after them. But when ye shall hear of wars and commotions, and be not terrified, for these things must first come to pass, but the end is not by and by. So, so far, they're right in a step. Very comfortable. It sounds like the same thing, doesn't it? Then we get to a, a, a couple more verses here. Then he said unto them, Nations shall rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. The great earthquake shall be in divers places, and famines and pestilences and fearful sights and great signs shall there be from heaven. Great so far. It's just like the Matthew account, right? Verse 12 is what people miss. Oh, by the, he, just, he just listed, by the way, the same group, the same group that we've talked about, what, what Matthew calls the beginning of sorrows. False cries, wars, famines, pestilence, earthquakes. Earthquakes shall be in divers places, and famines and pestilences, and fearful sights, and great signs shall be from heaven. But before all these, whoops, remember Matthew said after these things, and he went on to talk about a bunch of stuff. Luke, but before all these, they shall lay their hands on you, persecute you, delivering you up to the synagogues and the prisons, and brought before kings and rulers for my name's sake. Wow. And it shall turn to you for a testimony. Set it therefore in your hearts not to meditate before what you shall answer, for I will give you a mouth and wisdom which all your adversaries will not be able to gainsay or resist. 
and ye shall be betrayed by parents, by brethren, kinsfolk, and friends, and some of you shall they cause to be put to death, and ye shall be hated of all men for my name's sake, but there shall not a hair of your head perish. Wow. In your patience possess ye your souls, and when ye shall see Jerusalem compassed with armies, then know that the desolation thereof, of Jerusalem, is near. Then let them which are in Judea flee into the mountains. Let them which are in the midst of it depart out. And let not them that are in the countries enter in there. In other words, get out of town and don't let your friends come back. Right? For these be the days of vengeance, that all things which are written may be fulfilled. He's talking about the siege of Jerusalem. Now what you need to understand, let's go back now to A.D. 60s. Vespasian is a major general. His son Titus is a general under him. He is commanded by Caesar Nero to attack Jerusalem. He and his son have gathered, they've been attacking the northern uh, towns and so forth in Judea. But Jerusalem is still there. Vespasian was commanded by Nero to attack Jerusalem. Now, uh, uh, they attacked the cities in the Galilee and so forth so far. But then Nero dies. When the boss dies, all bets are off. His orders now are scratched. Okay? Can you imagine the empire? The confusion? Nero's dead. Three different guys are trying to take over. They do for a few months. There's just confusion in, in Galba, Otho, and Vitellius try to take over. And it's a mess. One kills the other. It's just intrigues. Vespasian is a popular general, and he decides to play his cards, and he goes to, Jeru to uh, Rome and takes over the empire, where the other guys fumble, get kill each other. He gets in there. He is now Caesar. Okay? Now, what does he do? He tells his son, now that that's all over, about nine months of messing around, finish what we started. You know, complete the siege of Jerusalem. This is all in Josephus, volume 6 of the Wars of the, Wars of the Jews. Now, once you get the picture, the armies were gathered there. They didn't close because Vespasian went to Rome. The whole mess took nine months. So for nine months, these armies are in the hills, but they haven't sealed off the city yet. Jesus had told them, when you see Jerusalem compassed about in armies, get out of town. And don't let your friends come back. Right? Okay. We know from Eusebius that the Christians escaped to Pella, which is one of the Decapolis. We talked about that last time. Okay. This, Titus seals off the city in, those, in nine months subsequently, roughly. A million and a half men, women, and children are slaughtered in the fall of Jerusalem, 70 AD. But according to three of the historians, no Christians were lost because they had fled to um, Pella. The ones in Jerusalem are following Jesus' instructions that he gave them in the temple. I'll show you that in a minute. Uh, Paul's letter to the Hebrews wasn't necessarily in Jerusalem, but in general, the combination of Paul's letter and Christ's presentation in Luke 21 is why the believers didn't get killed. And continuing, Luke 21, But woe unto them that are with child, to them that give suck in those days, for there shall be great distress in the land and wrath upon his people, and they shall fall by the edge of the sword, and shall be led away captive into all nations. 
and Jerusalem shall be trodden down of the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles be fulfilled. So it started being trodden down in 70 AD. Is it still being trodden down? Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm among those that exaggerated the importance of June of 67 when we regained the old city. Because I thought, wow, that, that finishes it. No, it doesn't. It's still being trodden down by the Gentiles, the Condoleezza Rices and the George Bushes and whoever, and will do so until the times of the Gentiles be fulfilled. What is included in the times of the Gentiles? The Antichrist. So in 780, through the days of the Antichrist, Jerusalem's going to be a problem. That's exactly what Zechariah says in Zechariah 12, verses 2 and 3. Onward. And there shall be signs in the sun and the moon and the stars and upon the earth, distress of nations and perplexity, the sea and the waves roaring, men's hearts failing them for fear and for looking after those things which are coming on the earth, for the powers of heaven shall be taken. Now I remember Walter Martin, whenever he read that verse, he would say, men's hearts failing themselves for fear and looking after those things which are coming on the earth. And he'd always gesture with a saucer, you know. He was convinced there was a flying saucer. So. And then shall they see the Son of Man coming in the cloud with power and great glory. And when these things become, begin to come to pass, then look up and lift up your heads, for your redemption draweth nigh. Word redemption there is, is uh, re, uh, releasing affected by payment of ransom. That term in the Greek is always used in six other places to refer to the redemption as we think of it in Christ. And he spake to them in parable, Behold, the fig tree and all the trees... Not just the fig tree. Many scholars make a big thing, the fig tree is a symbol of Israel or something. No, in Luke account, it's, it's idiomatic in a broader sense. Behold the fig tree and all the trees. When they now shoot forth, and you see, you know their own selves, that summer is now nigh at hand. And I can remember marching down Stribling Walk at the Naval Academy during what we call the Dark Ages. That's the January, February time period. Bare trees. And you'd be much, and as you're marching down every morning to class, whatever, you'd see the trees just begin to look a little bit green. You just see them sprout. As you, and it was like a week. And kaboom, spring was there. It just, you knew that the spring was hitting, hitting hard. Anyway, so likewise, ye, when you see these things come to pass, know ye that the kingdom of God is nigh at hand. You've been listening to 6640 the ministry outreach of Koinonia House and Koinonia Institute. Today's Bible teacher was Chuck Missler, teaching through the book of Hebrews. For a complete listing of resources available, please visit khouse.org. You can also call us on 1-800-K-HOUSE-1. To learn more about Koinonia Institute, visit koinoniainstitute.org. Thank you for listening to 6640 and for your continued prayerful support of this ministry. Until next time, as we continue this series, may God bless you with the knowledge of His Son, Jesus Christ, as you study His Word.